my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 326. And uh, today's Wednesday. I meant to record this episode on Tuesday. As you guys know, I, I have no team of people helping me. I'm, I'm in a master bedroom by myself uh, doing the best I can, trying to keep up with major networks, and I, I just ran out of gas. It was a busy weekend of football, 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 football. And I, I didn't even st- watch the national championship until Tuesday, which is yesterday, Tuesday at like 10 o'clock. I finally got to it. I watched it, had a good time. Uh, it wasn't the game I hoped it would be. Um, but here we are on Wednesday. I'm also, by the way, I'm in the middle of moving my studio around and making a lot of changes. Hopefully it doesn't look any different behind me. And I hopefully uh, when I move it to the other place it's going, just another room in the place I live, uh, smaller room. I'm For anybody who cares, I'm moving my studio from, like right now I have an office and a studio. So like I write the show over there and I watch football over there in that corner. And then I record the show here. And I think I'm actually going to make a move to having a studio. It's a dedicated tiny bedroom because then I can close the door and my studio set can always stay the same and never have to change, never have to move cameras, never have to move this or that. It's kind of amazing, actually, that uh, I, I've done it this long without a permanent set. So I'm excited for that change coming very soon. You realize, like, I think people don't understand. I'm, like, grassroots as you can possibly be. Like, I'm a, I'm a dude in a bedroom who loves football. I think I know a little bit about football. And uh, anyway, today we're going to talk about the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, they fired their offensive coordinator. We're going to talk about Doug Peterson the Eagles head coach who got fired. We'll talk about Baker Mayfield. Um, the legend is growing with Baker Mayfield. It'll be a fun topic there. We're going to talk about Alabama against Ohio State, the national championship in college football. Uh, then we also, I, I believe we have to talk about Alabama's quarterback, Mac Jones. Uh, we'll end the show with some Ask Zach. Once again, I just hope you're doing very, very well. And uh, I'm excited for today's episode. Let's dive in. On Monday, Alabama beat Ohio State in the college football national championship. So Alabama, once again, is the national champion of college football. And uh, it was a close game for a while. And by a while, I mean a couple of drives. For, for a brief period of time, Ohio State kept up with Alabama. And then Alabama pulled away. They were up 35-17 at halftime. They won the game 52-24, to uh, which is if you are a Texas A&M fan, that's a meaningful number to you. We'll talk about that down the road. Uh, look, Ohio State was just outmatched physically. Uh, Alabama has so many NFL players, namely, you know, here's a couple of them. Uh, Devontae Smith, the Heisman Trophy winning receiver. Jalen Waddell, another receiver who's an NFL prospect, probably going to be a first round pick. Then Najee Harris, who is, because he's a running back, he may not be a first round pick, but he's definitely an NFL running back. And whoever gets him is going to get a really great running back who's going to run really hard, who can block uh, in the passing game, who can uh, catch passes out of the backfield. Like NFL players all over the field for Alabama. And unfortunately, Ohio State just couldn't keep up. Now, it didn't help that, uh, you know, Trey Sermon, their running back, got hurt after one carry. Uh, it just wasn't, I don't know. I You can be upset that it was a blowout, but I I personally cannot think of a single program in college football that could have beat Alabama. I, like if you're an, if you're a college football fan and you're like, you know, uh, you know, Washington state, no, they couldn't have beat them. Uh, like I, Nate, I don't know anybody from any fan base in college football. That's very confidently able to say our team could have beat Alabama. It's wishful thinking. So I, I don't know that anybody was going to beat Alabama this year. Um, and I, I mean, they just dominated and they deserve to win. Now it was interesting that Jalen Waddle decided to play. He was hurt. He broke his ankle on October 24th. He's a receiver for Alabama. He is uh, a top-level NFL prospect, probably going to be a first-round pick. And clearly, watching the game, the dude was not at 100%, um, but he wanted to win and wanted to win a national championship and wanted to play. And I respect that. You see a lot of NFL players and future NFL players opting out of bowl games and this and that. And I think opting out of a bowl game is one thing. It's a meaningless game that has really not much implication. Uh, now, if you can play in a national championship and you don't, um, I, to each their own, I think some people, if Jalen Waddle could have decided not to play, and I would have thought no less of him because he's got an NFL future to worry about. He wants to make millions of dollars. And, uh, you know, if he gets hurt in the national championship game, even worse, and it ruins his NFL future, and he doesn't get millions of dollars in the future for his life and his livelihood and his family, man, I look, I, 
I would have felt horrible. So if he didn't play, I would have literally felt nothing negative towards him. But I, man, I try to put myself in his shoes. Imagine if you were a college football player, your team is playing for the national championship and you felt like you could play and you didn't. You watched your teammates play in the national championship without you from the sideline or from a press box or wherever they would have put him or at home. I mean, I, I really admire Jalen Waddle for playing. I don't know that it was right for him. I, it was a risk for sure. He could have got hurt. Um, but as a, a former football player, uh, I played in college as well. I, I respect that a lot, that a guy to, you know, really want to be involved and say, I, you know, when he looks back on his life, when he's 50 years old, no matter what happens in his NFL career, he'll always be able to say, I won a national championship. I played on the field. I was with my teammates. We fought hard for that. I mean, if you work, if you win a national championship in college football, if you do anything, I made, uh, made the playoffs a couple times. Like if you do anything you do, <laughs> you work all year towards that final game of the season. And so all the work Jalen Otto put in with his teammates and building the program at Alabama and getting them another national championship, but all led up to that moment. And so to feel like all that work you put in led to this moment and then not play in that moment would have been, I feel like probably, I, I'm speaking for him. I imagine he would have felt like it's a total betrayal to all the hard work he'd done previously. I really, really admire Jalen Waddle for playing in this game. Now, Devontae Smith left in the third quarter with a hand injury. He actually dislocated his finger, and they couldn't get it back in. Alabama said, look, we love you, kid. We're not going to let you play the rest of the game. I think good on Alabama. They protected Devontae Smith. Um, but it was kind of crazy. Is in two and a half, two quarters of football, Devontae Smith still had... 12 catches for 215 yards and three touchdowns. That's unbelievable. And he really proved why, why he was deserving of the Heisman Trophy. It's one of the least controversial Heisman Trophy winning uh, players I've ever seen. Just everyone's like, yeah, he deserves it. And he better be, in my opinion, he'd better be the number one receiver drafted in the upcoming 2021 NFL draft. If he's not, <laughs> I'd, I'd be surprised. I mean, we watched... Justin Jefferson fall and fall and fall and fall. The Vikings last year in the 2020 NFL draft. And he clearly was the best guy. I don't know if he was clearly that before the draft happened, but you know, now looking back, he was the best guy. And we saw him make catch after catch after catch against the SEC and shred everybody. And it would feel like a massive mistake if somebody didn't make a move and get Devontae Smith uh, as the first receiver drafted in the upcoming 2021 NFL draft. And my favorite thing about Devontae Smith, by the way, Devontae Smith is a guy who you watch his demeanor, uh, you watch how he talks to people. I know some people at the Alabama program, and they all say, and what's pretty clear, you don't even need to have inside information to know, Devontae Smith doesn't want attention. Devontae Smith wants to score touchdowns and play football and work and work and work, and I love that about him. He's not a guy that wants eyes on him, doesn't want to talk to interviewers, doesn't want attention at all just wants to play football. And I, oh man, it's kind of refreshing actually. There are so few, especially the position of receiver, everybody I feel like wants attention on them. So, I mean, we saw uh, Terrell Owens, Chad Ochocinco. He's like the opposite of Terrell Owens. He's the opposite of Chad Ochocinco. Uh, he's very talented like they were, but personality-wise, he's like, I don't want to build my brand. I don't want attention. Uh, I'm going to let all my talk happen on the field. And you know what? That actually reminds me a lot of John Bellion. John Bellion is my favorite musician. And John Bellion doesn't like promoting himself. He doesn't like uh, doing interviews. He doesn't. He just wants to let his music speak for himself. It's like, hey, my music is great, and I'm going to let my music do the talking for me. Devontae Smith is the same way. I'm going to let my touchdowns and my play on the field build my brand and talk for me. And it'll. if you play good football, that's the best way to build your brand you possibly could. And Devontae Smith's brand, man, it's in a, it's a, good, in a good spot right now. And, uh, man, I love watching Devontae Smith. Now, Ohio State, oh boy. I mean, again, I repeat, I just really believe they were outmatched. I don't know there's a lot they could have done in this game to win. Uh, I thought Justin Fields, Ohio State's quarterback, played a pretty clean game. He did a good job with what he could. Uh, maybe I would have liked to see Jay, uh, Justin Fields scramble a time or two more. There was a play in the red zone where, it was like on the goal line, where I thought he, you know, his internal clock told him, I got to throw the ball. I've been holding onto the ball too long in the pocket. But I would have liked his answer to, you're sitting in the pocket for 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 4, 5. When you hold on to the ball too long, maybe extend the play rather than he tried to force the ball into coverage and it was incomplete. Got lucky it wasn't intercepted on the goal line. Um, but that feels like a nitpick. Like I, 
my only problem with Justin Fields is he maybe could have extended the play more. I thought he did the best he could. He had some good throws. I feel really good about him physically. And uh, Alabama was just simply a much, much better team on Monday night. Now, this is Nick Saban, Alabama's head coach. This is his seventh national championship. He won one at LSU. Uh, I believe I'm getting it right that it's six at Alabama. Maybe, again, it's one at LSU, six at Alabama. It's unbelievable. It's pretty crazy what he's done. And I got to say, I really like, so I know it's seven for sure. Uh, If you want to look it up, I believe it's six at Alabama. I know he won one at LSU for sure. I don't think it was two. Um, And I love Nick Saban. I I think it's a gold standard. I know that some people hate Dabo Sweeney, and I get it because he's a loud mouth. And he uh, has some, sometimes Dabo Sweeney puts his foot in his mouth. I'm talking about the Clemson head coach. Nick Saban. If you hate him, the only reason you could possibly hate him is because he wins. And I, that's a stupid reason to hate somebody. Like, ah, I'm tired of this guy succeeding. Okay, well, I respect people who are successful. And not only is Nick Saban very, very successful and the best college football coach of all time. And uh, he's an amazing recruiter. And he wins, let's be honest, for sure. He wins because he gets the best players, but he also develops those players. And my favorite thing about Nick Saban uh, watching him win his seventh national championship is that he makes it about his players, not about himself. It'd be easy to be like, look at me. I'm the best seven national championships. What's up? Like he could have that attitude. However, if he had that attitude, he probably wouldn't continue to win national championships because that would leak out. People go, oh, this guy's all about him and his players wouldn't like him and it wouldn't work. So his players like him because he's not about himself. He makes it all about his players. And um, I just, the people there at Alabama, his players love him. And I don't know how you can look at Nick Saban and not like him and not, at the minimum, you can hate him for winning because maybe he beat your team and you're an Ohio State fan or a Clemson fan or whatever you want. Maybe you're an Auburn fan. You're like, look, I respect him, but I can't like him. That's fine. But I don't know how you don't respect what Nick Saban has done at Alabama. Uh, By the way, I found out that Ryan Day Ohio State's head coach lived in his guest house on his property uh, this season for the majority of the year. And he only saw his wife and kids, uh, you know, through FaceTime and through the windows, you know, waving at them as he got home kind of thing. (sighs) That's brutal, man. Uh, That's really, really brutal. Imagine not seeing your wife or your girlfriend or your kids or whatever for, um, you know, I'm just trying to, if if you're a person, maybe you're not married, but you might have a girlfriend. Like, imagine not seeing your girlfriend in person for seven months. It's like a long distance relationship. It's even worse if you have kids. I can't imagine not seeing, if I had kids, not seeing my kids and holding them and hugging them for uh, months. So um, it's just, that's a brutal thing to hear about Ryan Day. It kind of makes me feel bad that he lost. Like he did, he dedicated all this time and all this, it's just so much dedication and then to fail at the end of the year. Like that's, that really stinks. Uh, And COVID has been it's just a testament how crazy COVID has been. Now, it is worth noting that college football coaches and really any kind of football coach, you rarely see your family a lot during the season anyway. Uh, it's more in the offseason. You have family time and you go on vacation and you see them. And you know that because you're getting all this time in the offseason, you're not going to get this time during the season. But even a college coach is worse than an NFL coach because it, <laughs> it went in the offseason, you're recruiting. So I just, man, Ryan Day, I don't know that I, it's awful. It's just a brutal thing. I don't know that it's like, Wow, amazing, because not seeing your family is pretty sad, um, but it's a brutal thing, and I just, man, I want to tell you about that, about Ryan Day. Like, he is very dedicated to his job, and it makes me feel a little bit bad that he lost at the end of the year. Now, before we talk about Alabama quarterback Mac Jones, we have to talk about Texas A&M football. So, Texas A&M went 9-1 and this year. They won their bowl game. They beat North Carolina uh, State, or no, sorry, North Carolina, just, just UNC, North Carolina. The, the blue one, not the red one, not the Wolfpack. They beat North Carolina, uh, the Tar Heels, in their bowl game. And uh, the only loss on the year that Texas A&M had was a loss to Alabama, ironically, 52-24, to which is, it's ironic because it's the same score that Ohio State lost to Alabama in the national championship. And <sighs> Texas A&M felt snubbed. They felt like they should have been in the college football playoff. They felt like they should have been the number four team rather than Notre Dame. And I get why a Texas A&M Aggie fan might feel that way. Like, we got screwed over. We should have gotten in. 
Uh, but I, me personally, whether it was Texas A&M or Alabama or Notre Dame, excuse me, whoever was that number fourth team, Notre Dame, A&M, that team was probably not going to win against Alabama. I can't think of a single team in college football that probably would have beat Alabama. And uh, now Notre Dame beat Clemson, and they Notre Dame had not previously lost to Alabama. Texas A&M had already played Alabama. They got their shot. They lost. I understand why the committee chose Notre Dame over Texas A&M. Plus, you also, two SEC teams seems like a lot of favoritism. Two ACC, arguably, but Notre Dame's a huge brand. It's it's not perfect. Uh, I understand both perspectives and both arguments. My belief, though, is that by winning their bowl game, Texas A&M had a happier ending to their season than they would have had losing to an Alabama in the college football playoff. Now, maybe they would have made it a game. It would have been interesting. I You can debate that. Uh, I think it might actually be better for recruiting to tell your people, like, we got screwed over and we're trying to build our program to get in next year. There, You can definitely put a spin on it to make it positive for Texas A&M. And so I, I know that A&M won a bowl game. They've got momentum for next year. But it's got to sting a little bit. People kept saying, like, we can't have A&M in the college football playoff because we don't want to blow out against Alabama. Well, Alabama blew out Notre Dame and Ohio State. And you could argue, again, it's the same score that A&M lost to Alabama by when Ohio State lost. So I just, I, I feel the plight of a Texas A&M fan. They feel like they got screwed over and they might have somewhat of a point there. But again, I don't know what team in college football would have beat Alabama this year in the 2020 college football season. Let me drink some water real quick. Because it's time that we need to talk about Alabama quarterback Mac Jones. Uh, in the national championship, he was 36 for 45 passing at 464 yards, five touchdowns. Um, and I look at Mac Jones. I strongly believe this guy is an NFL quarterback. I'm a big fan of the guy. I think he's a first round pick. And a lot of people doubt him. A lot of people say that he only did well because he's got amazing receivers around him. He's got Najee Harris and <laughs> Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. And I, look, first of all, remember Joe Burrow at LSU also had amazing players around him. It's not, just because you have good teammates does not necessarily mean you're not going to be a good NFL quarterback. It's kind of a, a silly thing. Like people are very, people love to simplify and also people love to hate on anybody who wins. Here's really the question you have to ask. There's a couple of them. Does he have NFL traits? Does he have NFL habits? And then also, does a quarterback elevate his receivers or do the receivers elevate him? There have been moments when I've watched college football and I've gone, oh, that quarterback's only good because of the system he plays in or because he's throwing the ball up to amazing receivers who are taking a five-yard slant, running for a 50-yard touchdown, and you're not seeing enough high-level NFL throws downfield. When I watch Mac Jones, definitely he'll throw a five-yard screen for a long touchdown. You're like, wow, I mean, that's just because he's got good teammates. And that happens for sure. But also, there are moments where Mac Jones really, really elevates his teammates. There are throws to Devontae Smith that I'm like, that's not just a good catch. That's a great throw. Or that's a throw. There was a throw in, in the national championship against Ohio State where Alabama or Ohio State, for whatever reason, left a linebacker matched up on Devontae Smith. But he recognized the matchup, made a beautiful throw up over that defense. I'm like, that's you can you can say like, oh, it's a mismatch, yada, yada. But he had to recognize the mismatch and make a great throw. I Repeatedly, I watched Mac Jones this year elevate the people around him. He wasn't just being elevated by the people around him. And so because he makes Alabama star players even better, I go, man, I, I like what Mac Jones is doing. And I got to be very honest, going into the year, I completely wrote off Mac Jones in my head. I went, oh, another tall Alabama quarterback. He's just a typical guy. He's another A.J. McCarron. Like, oh, okay. Like we saw A.J. McCarron win a national championship at Alabama and we all could see, like, he's, he's being elevated by the people around him. No, 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 no. Mac Jones is not A.J. McCarron. Mac Jones is a really good quarterback who's doing amazing stuff, and he's really good at identifying coverages. He's really good at working through progressions. He's not super mobile, what, but what he can do, even though he can't run around a lot, Mac Jones can move within the pocket and keep a play alive and slide left and right. Um, I thought... A couple of years ago, a couple of years, two years, three, however long ago, whenever Jake Fromm played for Georgia, I watched Jake Fromm at Georgia not really move very well in the pocket. He really had, he was a statue behind the, uh, his offensive line. 
He just didn't have to do a lot. He was never challenged to have to move in the pocket. And I thought that that was an underdeveloped part of Jake Fromm's game. That's not the case with Mac Jones. Mac Jones has developed that part of his game. He moves well, slides well in the pocket, keeps plays alive when he needs to. And uh, he's got good pocket presence. It matters. And he has great footwork. It matters there. Now, I encourage you to go watch Alabama's third and goal from the five-yard line against Ohio State. They did not score a touchdown, but they threw the ball down to like the six-inch yard line. And you can see Mac Jones catches the snap, works all the way across the field, back to the left, like his fourth or fifth read in his progression. And he threw the ball to the, the pylon. Was unfortunately not a touchdown, but it was a great completion and a good job identifying where to throw, working all the way through his progression, finding the open man. I'm like, that's a guy who very quickly can identify coverage and get through a progression. He's good on the goal line. He's good on third down. Uh, and he can beat a blitz by throwing. If you blitz Mac Jones, he's not going to try to run or do something stupid. He's going to say, okay, no problem. I'll find my best matchup and beat that, beat the blitz with a throw. It's exactly how you handle a blitz. And somehow it's very overlooked. I don't really understand how this is possible, but Mac Jones has a huge arm and is very accurate downfield. And it feels like nobody gives him credit for it. I think Mac Jones has a better arm than Tua does. Like Tua last year at Alabama was good and great, but I think Mac Jones is bigger and has a stronger arm than Tua did. And when I watch Mac Jones, I see Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, the Falcons quarterback who, oddly enough, was also coached by Steve Sarkeesian uh, in Atlanta. Now, the San Francisco 49ers have the 12th overall pick. And I don't know that Justin Fields or Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence are going to fall all the way down to the 12th overall pick. And I don't think it needs to happen. I don't think it matters. Because I really believe that Mac Jones paired up with Kyle Shanahan, the coach in San Francisco, would be a very, very special match together. They, they would do some special stuff together. And the last time that Kyle Shanahan had a quarterback with a skill set like that, Matt Ryan won the NFL MVP. So Mac Jones and Kyle Shanahan, I don't think people like the, the 49ers need to trade up and go get Zach Wilson. I, I don't think so. I, I think Mac Jones with the 49ers would be amazing. And because they have a lot of talent around, whoever quarterback is going to play in San Francisco next year, they've got a good defense. They've got an amazing coach. I think Mac Jones fits in perfectly there and would be a home run in San Francisco. Because Mac Jones is great at pushing the ball vertically downfield, which I believe is Jimmy Garoppolo's weakness as a quarterback. And physically, Mac Jones is an upgrade over the 49ers' current quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. Now also, Mac Jones is very patient. He processes defenses at a high level. Uh, and I want to just be very clear. I believe in Mac Jones. Mac Jones is a guy who I believe with the right team, the right coaching staff, would be very, very successful in the NFL. And if you pair him up with Kyle Shanahan, oh, that's a scary, scary thought. Now, here's the question. Will Mac Jones go to the NFL? I think he will, um, but he could stay in school. And if he stays at Alabama in college, I think it's unlikely Mac Jones has an even better year next year because you're losing three key NFL players, losing your running back, Najee Harris losing your receiver, Jalen Waddell. And of course, you're losing your amazing receiver, Heisman Trophy winning receiver, Devontae Smith. So I don't know how you lose those three high-level NFL players and get better next year. And not just get better, but do better next year statistically uh, and make better throws. I think the, the draft stock for Mac Jones is as high as it's ever going to be. I think you should capitalize on it. But also, I think he's ready. And the only reason why Mac Jones should stay in college rather than go to the NFL is if he believes he needs more experience to prepare for the NFL. If, you know, the question really is, does Mac Jones feel ready to step up to the next level of football and play football against much more complicated defenses with and against grown men? Guys in their 20s, you know, late 20s, early 30s, late 30s. Does he feel prepared to play at a higher level? If he does, he should go to the NFL. If he's not sure and he's like, I don't know, I'm ready. Stay in college, take the challenge on, and get prepared for the next level. Um, but I believe he is ready, and I would love to see Mac Jones paired up with Kyle Shanahan on the San Francisco 49ers. And if that doesn't work out, hey, another team he could go to, and I think he'll be very successful, is I think he could go to the Washington football team and have a good career. I like Mac Jones. He's a first-round pick, and uh, a lot of people doubt him. Go ahead and doubt him. The guy has NFL habits. He beats 
blitzes. He's got a great ability to process defenses, and he's a really good physical specimen at quarterback. He can throw the ball very well downfield, and it matters. He's got a huge arm. He's got he's very accurate, got a lot of arm strength. And when you look at a guy like, let's say, Gardner Minshew, um, Jimmy Garoppolo, Mitchell Trubisky, uh, even Drew Brees, like physically, he's an upgrade over all those guys with his ability to throw the ball downfield. And so uh, I love Mac Jones. I'm a big fan. I think he's an NFL quarterback. I want to put that out now. So uh, answer that question. I love Mac Jones. I believe he's a great, successful future NFL quarterback. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about Doug Peterson. He just got fired by the Eagles. We'll talk about Baker Mayfield. We'll talk about the Seattle Seahawks. And then later down the road, we'll answer some Ask Zach questions. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. It is uh, it's January, and it's swelteringly hot. It's crazy. I live in the Pacific Northwest. It shouldn't be hot right now. It is. Part of it is that this room is facing the sun uh, on two of the walls. It's it's awful. And I just, uh, man, I think I might even put on the party shirt for the next uh, segment of the show when you ask Zach. I want to dive in right now. Let me drink some water real quick first. The Eagles have fired their head coach, Doug Peterson. And, uh, oh, man, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I am nervous. It's going to be very messy. I'm going to do the best I can. There's a lot to unpack, a lot to talk about. Number one, I put in my thumbnail for the video. When the Eagles tanked after week 17, I put in the thumbnail. I hope it was worth it when I did a video about that topic. And uh, it feels like it wasn't worth it. <laughs> it doesn't uh, doesn't appear that getting the number six overall pick rather than what the number nine overall pick appears like that move was not worth it because uh, it probably got Doug Peterson fired among other things. Now, it does appear that there's a lot of stuff we don't know uh, that I'm sure, unless we're Doug Peterson or the owner or the general manager, there's just things going on. Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson, something is going on behind the scenes, and there's some stuff going on that we just don't know and aren't privy to. Uh, there's a rumor that the coaches list from Doug Peterson, we gave it to the GM, saying, here are the promotions I want to make, and the GM and owner were like, how oh, we hate these ideas, and Doug, you're stupid. Now, it's also been rumored that that the same thing happened right before the Eagles won a Super Bowl, that Doug Peterson said, hey, I want to stick with the offensive coordinator, Frank Reich. And they said, that's ah, terrible. And Doug Peterson pushed back and said, no, 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 we got to keep Frank Reich. And now they won a Super Bowl the next year. Frank Reich is now the coach of the Colts and doing very well. So it appears like not necessarily is Doug Peterson always wrong when he gives his coaching hires and offers and opportunities. Um, there's just a lot of rumors swirling around Philadelphia. Now, there clearly was a relational and emotional disconnect between the owner and the coach in Philadelphia. You know, you rarely dump a girlfriend that you like. So clearly, the owner, Doug Peterson, there wasn't a cohesion. There wasn't a cohesive relationship there. And I, I, I don't know. I, this, no matter what you say, the owner didn't like Doug Peterson. Something was happening there behind the scenes. Now, here's what I want to know. Who's going to win the breakup? Three years from now, who is going to be better off, Doug Peterson or Philadelphia? I'm not going to know. I, I'm not even going to make a prediction on that. It'll just be fun to find out. Does Doug Peterson do very well wherever he goes next? Uh, do the Eagles do very well moving on from Doug Peterson? I don't know. There are clearly a lot of problems in Philadelphia. Uh, I think one of the biggest problems in Philadelphia is, and it's not really, a problem is a, a questionable thing. When the Eagles won a Super Bowl, they went all in on that roster. They spent a lot of money. They did, they did everything they could, spent a lot of money in all veterans and all kinds of stuff, older players, and it got them to a Super Bowl, and they won the Super Bowl. So spending a lot of money paid off. The repercussions of that, though, were that they have a, an aging roster with players that are overpaid and a bunch of problems with the salary cap. So they spent their money. They went all in, and it, it, they won a Super Bowl. It worked out for them, but they're still dealing with the repercussions of their Super Bowl victory in Philadelphia. I think it's worth it. Hey, I'll, I'll trade all kinds of bad years for a Super Bowl. And if I was a fan of any team, I don't have a favorite team. But if I was like, if I was a Browns fan or something, I'd say, I'll spend, we, we can ruin our franchise for another 20 years if it means we win a Super Bowl. That's a bit hyperbolic and extreme, but you know what I mean. Now, there are a couple places in sports that I would not want to work, that I would not want to be affiliated with. Uh, now, sports radio is one thing. I think sports radio in Philadelphia 
oh, it'd be amazing because there's a lot of anger. I think the anger in Philadelphia is probably 10 times as much as in New York. Although New York's another dream market of mine. If I, I'm probably never going to do local sports radio because already, I'm already a national show. I've gotten beyond that. But, man, there, there would be a fun thing to do, um, like, local radio in New York. Can you imagine? how? Or really, but Philadelphia is what I want to focus on. Uh, there's a couple places in sports I wouldn't want to be. University of Auburn. You play Alabama twice, you know, once a year. You play Alabama every year. It's a rivalry game. I think at Auburn there's a lot of unrealistic expectations and angry boosters. I would say the exact same thing about Texas, uh, the University of Texas in Austin. Uh, and then the city of Philadelphia is a place that I would call a – I'm going to make a lot of people mad on Philadelphia. I believe Philadelphia is a city with a toxic sports culture uh, where there's no patience at all from the fan base, from ownership. There's unrealistic expectations. There's a ton of hate and anger like crazy. And again, it's 10 times worse than New York in my opinion – Philadelphia fans than New York. Like New York fans are angry, and but they're what's underlying is there's a layer of passion. Like they they're angry, but they they love it and they they're they're very into it. And Philadelphia they love their team, but they also they love to hate on their team. They love to hate on a lot of stuff. I mean, there's a video out there of they threw what was it? They threw stuff at Santa Claus one time. My dad, I was talking to my dad about that last night. He's like, you realize how like awful? I'm like, yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. Philadelphia is just an angry place. And I, what's funny is as I say that. Oh, man, uh, Philadelphia fans are going to come after me and be very angry in the comments. And all they will be doing is proving my point. So I kind of, hey, I'm going to win no matter what you do there. Um, let me remind you, Philadelphia dumped Andy Reid a couple of years back. And Andy Reid is very well respected throughout the NFL. Look at, look at the AFC playoff picture right now. You have Sean McDermott, a former Andy Reid uh, disciple. You have Andy Reid himself with the Kansas City Chiefs. You have John Harbaugh. Another guy he used to coach under Andy Reid and Kevin Stefanski with the Browns, who also, by the way, used to intern under Andy Reid. So basically the entire AFC playoff picture right now has been shaped by Andy Reid. And look at how many coaches. It's crazy. I dare you to look up how many people coach under Andy Reid, then become successful coaches in their own right. It's absolutely unbelievable how many people have worked under Andy Reid at some point and then become a really successful NFL coach somewhere else. And it's unbelievable. So Andy Reid is, a, I think, pretty clearly a great coach. And he got dumped by Philadelphia. And he is much better off now. He's in Kansas City, won a Super Bowl last year, got Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid got dumped by Philadelphia and is way better off than Philadelphia is right now. So, <laughs> okay, like, you can say Philadelphia is crazy, but I, I think they're toxic. And I don't necessarily think that uh, it's the place to be. Now, I've heard some speculation that People are saying, well, Philadelphia might hire the Oklahoma head coach, Lincoln Riley. Uh, let me just be very clear. Not a chance. There is no way Lincoln Riley would leave Oklahoma to go to Philadelphia. Are you kidding me? First of all, Lincoln Riley is the king of Oklahoma. He's, he's like the, what do you call it? The president, the, the king of Oklahoma. Like he runs that place. Not just the, the Norman Oklahoma where the university is. I mean the state of Oklahoma. Like he is the king of the castle there. He's got a very secure job. Got a great relationship with Jordan. Ton of money. He's winning. They love him. It's all good. And he's going to be there for probably 20, 30 years. I don't, I don't know why Lincoln Riley would ever leave Oklahoma, but definitely not for Philadelphia. And you got to be clear. When, <laughs> when it was desired, when the Cardinals were considering drafting Kyler Murray, you know they tried to have a conversation at some point with Lincoln Riley. Why would Lincoln Riley leave Oklahoma for Philadelphia when he didn't want to leave Oklahoma for Arizona? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, there's just no way Oklahoma's going to Philadelphia. I think it's, a, it's clearly a conspiracy theory. It's, it's silly nonsense. There's no way that ever happens. But it's worth squashing that bug now. Like, let's, any rumor out there? No, no chance that's going to happen. Now, Doug Peterson wasn't just fired because he uh, tanked. Uh, the Eagles had a bad year. They went 4-11-1. Now, part of why the Eagles were really terrible is because they had a bunch of injuries. And they just, it's every year, I feel like Philadelphia has an astronomical amount of injuries. Now, part of that, again, is because they got an aging roster, a lot of veteran players who are also all overpaid. <laughs> now, the other problem with Philadelphia this year was that their quarterback, Carson Wentz, fell apart. And now, I don't buy that Doug Peterson is a bad coach. Doug Peterson, like... It's pretty rare. I'm sure it's happened before, but it's pretty rare that a terrible coach has won a Super Bowl. Like the guy that comes to mind is 
you know, John Gruden won a Super Bowl with uh, Tampa Bay. Hasn't done a lot since then. But let's be honest. Like, how often does a really bad coach win a Super Bowl? Not that often. And you also have to acknowledge that after winning a Super Bowl, Doug Peterson really suffered from the brain drain, meaning that their offensive coordinator, Frank Reich, he left, went to the Colts. And the quarterback coach of Philadelphia left and went to the Minnesota Vikings. So you, you lose your quarterback coach and your offensive coordinator. you got to rebuild that and work with your quarterback. Like Doug Peterson, I thought, overcame a lot, actually, and he's done a pretty good job. You know, you can say Doug Peterson's a terrible coach because Carson Wentz was awful. Well, if that's true, then how do you explain Jalen Hurts doing well? Somebody was coaching Jalen Hurts. Uh, and then also, let me ask you this. How many times has Doug Peterson thrown the ball in 2020 in an NFL season, an NFL game. I, he used to play quarterback in the NFL. That's fine. But not, not recently, right? When's the last time Doug Peterson? Uh, no, Carson Wentz was the person throwing balls for Carson Wentz. Doug Peterson wasn't deciding where to throw the football. Doug Peterson wasn't the one throwing interceptions. Carson Wentz, there were many, many moments where Carson Wentz threw the ball into traffic, made bad decisions, and sometimes it even just hold on to the ball way too long, just trying to be Superman, trying to be way too much, forcing the ball into coverage or holding on the ball for like 30 seconds during a play, running around, getting hit, fumbling. Like, that's not on Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson isn't telling Carson Wentz to hold onto the ball way too long and throw the ball into traffic and make terrible decisions. Like, that's Carson Wentz doing his own thing and being horrible at his job. So you can say that Doug Peterson's an awful coach because of Carson Wentz, but I think Carson Wentz caused his own problems. It wasn't Doug Peterson causing the problems for Carson Wentz. Again, how do you explain Jalen Hurts doing well if Doug Peterson is a terrible coach? It just... Makes no sense to me. And then I also got to say, I'm very nervous about Carson Wentz moving forward. His head is all messed up. Um, you know, they have that Nick Foles. Like, I, who decided to build a Nick Foles statue in Philadelphia? Like, you couldn't have waited 10 years. You had to, you have a starting quarterback, Carson Wentz, in Philadelphia. And you built a statue of his backup quarterback. What are you doing? You want to mess with the guy's head forever? Do that. Oh, and then he's also got Jalen Hurts behind him breathing down his neck as the backup quarterback who can play really well. I, I think the confidence factor is a huge problem for Carson Wentz right now. I don't know that Carson can succeed in Philadelphia anymore. I think with Nick Foles and Jalen Hurts and you have another quarterback winning a Super Bowl with your own team. I mean, that's, man, like how many, how many marriages survive when the wife, like if, if your best friend has relations with your wife, does that marriage succeed? Probably not very often. And that's got to be how Carson Wentz feels about having the other quarterback on his team win a Super Bowl with his roster and his players. So ever since that moment with Nick Foles, I think Carson Wentz has been shaken a little bit. Then he got Jalen Hurts coming in, doing well again. In, in fact, better than Carson Wentz did with his own team. So I think the best thing for Carson Wentz is to get him out of Philadelphia, give him a fresh start, put him somewhere else. I think hopefully return him to Frank Reich, who can play with the Colts. Uh, and I think... Frank Reich and Nick Foles, or sorry, <laughs> that too, but Frank Reich and Carson Wentz clearly are a matchup that, or are a match together that can do very, very well. So I'm, I'm really curious, moving forward, I got to say this about the Eagles. I'm curious who they hire as their head coach. I will see if that guy's any good. We'll see if that head coach for Philadelphia does well moving forward. It's certainly not going to be Lincoln Riley. I would be so shocked if Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma for Philadelphia. It's a rumor. It's ridiculous. Uh, and then which quarterback does Philadelphia choose? Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts? Or does Philadelphia make the mistake of choosing both? Because I, I don't know how you can possibly have both Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz on the same team and expect that to be a good thing. <laughs> no way. No way that you can't. Because what's going to happen is you're going to stick with Carson Wentz maybe for a little bit. You keep Jalen because he's cheap. It doesn't make sense to trade him if you commit to Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz will struggle. Then midseason next year, you'll go back to Jalen Hurts and... You have a whole new nightmare. And then by that point, you can't even trade Carson away because he's been had two years in a row with bad play and got benched twice in a row, two years in a row. So I think the best move for Philadelphia, get rid of Carson, commit to Jalen. He's cheaper. He's got a spark. He's really good. Uh, but it also depends on what coach they hire. Like what coach, what quarterback does the new coach want? And then are they going to hire a coach to fix Carson? Or are they going to hire a coach to build around Carson or hire a coach to work with Jalen Hurts? Like, there's a lot of questions right now in Philadelphia, and it really all centers around their quarterback situation and their coach situation. I just, I, I maintain, I think Carson's confidence and his head is all rattled and shaken up. I don't recommend keeping him in Philadelphia. I don't know that he can succeed in Philadelphia. I did the whole, I can't believe I even said that. 
relations with the wife thing, but I, I stand by that. Like, you watch another guy win with your team, oh, and then, and not only once, but twice, oh, that, that's not good. It can't feel good at all. It's got to mess with your head. And then my final question about Philadelphia, who will be better off three years from now? We'll do a follow-up. Gonna, you got to be patient. Like, we're not going to, week one next year, Doug Peterson loses, Eagles win. I'm not going to make a video saying, well, see, they were right. The other team was right. Like, no, 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 no. But three years from now, we'll do a follow-up saying, hey, remember when the Eagles fired Doug Peterson? Uh, who won? Doug? Doug Pe- Is Doug Peterson better off? Or are the Philadelphia Eagles better off after firing him? Who's going to win the breakup? I can't wait to find out. And uh, keep your eye on Philadelphia. It's, there's a lot of stuff up ahead for Philadelphia. But again, the thing I do not recommend, I cannot recommend this enough. Do not keep both Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz on the same team. It's going to mess with Carson Wentz's head. And I, I personally would build around Jalen Hurts, move on from Carson, uh, pay to get rid of him. I, I, I would not want the guy. Uh, I just don't think it's going to work in Philadelphia. You can't recover from what he's been through and the emotional and uh, the head stuff he's been through. His head is all messed up, and you got to get Carson out of Philadelphia. Let's shift gears real quick. Two more topics before we go to break and then do Ask Zach. And I'm going to change my shirt, actually. It's just getting so hot. It's January! Why can't it relax? Like, hey, take a chill pill, son, please. It's 2.30, and it's hot as all blazes. I I hate it so much. I want to live in Hawaii. I'm stupid. It's going to be hot as hell there, but... I could at least open the windows and just be like, I, if I ever live in Hawaii, if I ever do strong opinion sports from Hawaii, I actually want to have like a window or something behind me. So I'm like, look, I'm in the jungle and the windows are open and you can hear birds. Like, how cool would it be to like have a show going on? And there's just like birds and like jungle noises in the background. I, I would lean into it. I'd have fun with it. I'd be sweating. I'd wear a Hawaiian shirt every episode and be hot. Have a good time. Um, the legend of Baker Mayfield is growing. And I want to, I want you guys to think about this. Here are some of the things Baker Mayfield has accomplished in his football career. Uh, I believe he won a state championship, by the way, in, in, in Texas high school football. I believe, maybe he didn't, but if he did that, that just adds to the impressive list I'm about to name. So maybe or maybe not, do the research, I, I, I forgot to. Uh, did Baker Mayfield win a national championship, or sorry, a, a high school Texas football championship? He might have won that as well. Uh, he went to, God, what did he go to? Some really big school in Austin, like Lake Travis is where he went to high school. But now, as he goes to college football, Baker Mayfield won. Uh, first, first of all, he walked on to two college football programs. Baker Mayfield walked on to Texas Tech. Then he walked on to Oklahoma. So that's an amazing accomplishment in my mind. Not only to walk on twice, but then to do well. He was a walk-on who won a Heisman Trophy at Oklahoma. Amazing. Amazing. I love that story. And then he became the number one overall pick. To the Cleveland Browns, everyone said, can you believe it? Baker Mayfield. Like, people were shocked when Baker was the number one overall pick. Everyone was expecting probably Sam Darnold to be the number one overall pick. I remember not everybody, but a lot of people were surprised when Baker was the number one overall pick a couple years ago. And then, not only was Baker a Heisman Trophy winner who walked on twice and was the number one overall pick, he went to the Cleveland Browns, and like it or not, whoever, maybe you want to give credit to the defense, fair enough, but Baker Mayfield was the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns, when they made the playoffs again for the first time in forever. My whole lifetime, pretty much, the Browns have been awful. And Baker's also the first Browns starting quarterback to win a playoff game since 1994. Imagine if you could go back to Baker Mayfield at 15 years old and say, hey, Baker, you're going to have to walk on twice in college football, but you're going to win a Heisman Trophy. Then you're going to be the number one overall pick, but you're going to go to the Cleveland Browns. He probably would say... That's all good until the Browns. Then I'm screwed. I'm going to go to the Browns, and it's going to be terrible. But then Baker went to the Browns and got to the playoffs and then won. Oh, my goodness. It's unbelievable. It's such a cool story to me. How can you not like the story of Baker Mayfield? I, he has he, overcome so many obstacles over and over and over again. He's a small guy who's undersized and chubby who became... This amazing, I, what I, I, I call it the legend of Baker Mayfield. He's still got a lot of haters, and I understand, but I, the, the same reason people hate Baker Mayfield is also the reason why he succeeded and overcomes so many obstacles. He is extremely confident in himself, probably a little bit cocky, but you have to be. To walk on twice, to have the audacity to say, I'm going to walk on to Texas A&M, then as a freshman, be amazing, and then, hey, it doesn't work. So I'm going to, sorry, Texas Tech, excuse me. 
then to walk on to Oklahoma. Have the audacity to walk on to Oklahoma and win a Heisman Trophy. Then to have the confidence in yourself to go to the Cleveland Browns and turn it around. How many people have been drafted by the Cleveland Browns and gone? I, I, they'll never tell you, but I, I'm pretty sure Brady Quinn went to the Cleveland Browns and went, oh, no. Like, this is awful. It's a nightmare. Nobody wants to go to Cleveland. Baker Mayfield took that challenge head on, and it was ugly for quite a while. But he got the right coach, a lot of talent around him. Baker has done it. <laughs> I just, I, I know people hate Baker Mayfield. But I think a lot of it is his attitude. And it's that, again, it's that little bit of cocky confidence he has in himself. But none of the stuff that he's gone through previously would have worked without that confidence. A little bit of arrogance, a lot of belief in himself. He had to believe in himself to go to Cleveland and turn around, to go to, to walk on at Texas m to win a Heisman Trophy. And I remember when the Browns drafted Baker Mayfield, they said that they weren't sure Sam Darnold had enough of whatever you want to call it, like swagger, confidence, to turn around Cleveland. They liked what Baker had mentally. The, the mental fortitude to take on that challenge and they believed he could do it. Because it's how many people have tried to turn around the Cleveland Browns and how many people have failed. And it looked for a little while like Baker was going to fail. But that's the struggle of doing that. The struggle of turning around a horrible, horrific franchise. And so my belief, and I, I'm sure most people believe that the Cleveland Browns are going to lose to the Kansas City Chiefs in the next round of the NFL playoffs. I don't care. So what? They lose. They won a playoff game. They turned around the Cleveland Browns. It's a, the legend of Baker Mayfield is growing and growing and growing. And I don't know how you can look at Baker's story and not be a fan of what he's done. He might have even, uh, look, somebody look it up. Lake Travis High School. Did Baker win a state championship in Texas? He might have done that as well. It's amazing to me, man. I, I, I love Baker. I love his story. I love his attitude. I think he's, I am sure if any, like, you might hate Baker, right? How he portrays himself. But I'm, I would imagine uh, if you sat down to have a beer with Baker Mayfield, you'd have a good time. You'd have a lovely conversation with a guy who, of course, he's got to be confident in himself. That's how you succeed when you're in Baker Mayfield's position, turning around the Cleveland Browns and having that belief in yourself to go from a walk-on that wins a Heisman Trophy that becomes a number one overall pick that turns around the Cleveland Browns. Uh, let me shift gears real quick. The Seattle Seahawks fired their offensive coordinator, Brian Schottenheimer. Uh, they cited the reason as philosophical differences between Schottenheimer and the Seattle Seahawks head coach, Pete Carroll, who was there for three years in Seattle. And I just want to briefly say this, because keep your eye on the Seattle job. I'm curious who they hire in Seattle, uh, because they have Russell Wilson, they have DK Metcalf, they have Tyler Lockett. They got a... I think probably a Hall of Fame quarterback and a ton of talent at receiver. And I just want to see Seattle throw the ball a ton next year. I would love it if Seattle drafted another receiver and said, we are all in on building around Russell Wilson, throwing the football downfield. Enough of this play action, boring, running the ball for, I don't want to see Seattle run the ball ever again. I, I, I know they have to, that's hyperbolic, but man, I, and, and extreme, but it's also extreme. I want to see Seattle throw the ball so many times it hurts your eyes. Like, you're like, ah, oh, like, I want to see Baker. Because I, I really believe if you see Russell Wilson throw the ball 40 times a game, 50 times a game, to DK Metcalf, maybe a new rookie receiver, and Tyler Lockett, it's going to work. It's going to be very successful. I, I cannot wait to see who they hire in Seattle. Um, and just keep your eye on that job. I'm curious who they hire as the next offensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks. All right, I'm going to take a short break. I'm going to change my shirt, put on a more comfy, cooler shirt, the Hawaiian shirt. I'm going to take a short break. Whenever I turn, we'll do Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. I want to give you guys an oh my goodness. Welcome back. It is time for my favorite part of the show, Ask Zach. I'm wearing the party shirt. Uh, if you're not listening on iTunes, go check it out. I've worn it before. You probably know what it is. You recognize the Hawaiian shirt I'm wearing. Uh, Ask Zach is my favorite part of the show. It's where I answer questions from the audience on Patreon. In case you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally pays my rent. Uh, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. And if you submit a question on Patreon, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs 
and I pick the top couple. I read them on the show. And uh, you guys did a good job. Every week, you guys are giving me better and better questions. Thank you so much. Uh, heat wave going on. It's January. What's the date? January. Oh, drop my phone. It's January 13th, and it's hot as blazes. I hate it so much. I don't know why. Couldn't tell you. Uh, I live in the Northwest. Should be raining outside, but it's not. And, you know, I, like normally during, by the way, before I record the show, normally I open the window, let a bunch of cool air in so that the lights don't, you know, burn me out. And if you open the window today, it just gets hotter because it's even hotter outside. It's like, why is this happening? I don't know. It's January. It's snowing other places in the country. <laughs> I'm excited to leave this place and move away. The first question of the day is from David. David Redson says, hey, Zach, how do you feel about Joe Judge after watching his first year with the Giants? Uh, I love Joe Judge. I think that Joe Judge has done a great job with New York. Uh, I think he's, first of all, he's, and I said this when he was, he did his uh, interview uh, what do you call it? the post the press conference? Excuse me. We did his press conference after being announced as the Giants head coach. I said, "Look, that guy fits the feel and the vibe of New York. the The passion, the desire, who he is as a person. He's an East Coast guy. Uh, he fits in with their culture. And I don't know if they have the right quarterback. Uh, I I am a Daniel Jones doubter. Now I'm not a hater, but I'm a doubter for sure. I don't. I'm, I'm not confident Daniel Jones is the right guy, but I am confident the Giants have the right coach." You just need to watch that defense play a couple downs to go, oh, it's a very well-coached defense in New York. Disciplined, they fight hard, and the entire organization of New York has taken on the personality of their coach. He's a fighter. He'll punch you in the mouth, and I, I love that. It really, um, I feel very good about uh, Joe Judge, and so Joe Judge is the right guy moving forward in New York. We'll see if they're the right quarterback, but uh, even if they have to move on from Daniel Jones, it doesn't reflect Joe Judge. He's the right guy for that job in New York, and uh, I'm excited about the future of what Joe Judge can do. I just hope he's patient. Like, I hope the the fan base doesn't turn on him and gives him the patience he needs to build the program because I really, I really strongly believe in Joe Judge, and I would hate to see them have a struggle at quarterback and need to make a transition and he not survive because Daniel Jones' success or failure is not Joe Judge's fault. Uh, so I think Joe Judge, man, uh, I'm begging New York. and You guys are a passionate group of people. I love I love New York a lot, actually. I, I'm begging you, give this guy time and patience to build what he needs to do in New York. He's the right guy for the job. Give him time. And I think if you do that, amazing things can happen with Joe Judge in New York for the Giants. Joaquin writes in says, Hey Zach, so I'm a Pac-12 fan, and I love how every year both USC and UCLA wear their home jerseys to the rivalry game. Why don't other teams do this as well, and why can't this be brought into the NFL? The semifinals with Bama and Notre Dame would have looked so much cooler with both teams wearing their home jerseys. So imagine Notre Dame, the dark navy, Alabama, the red. Would have looked pretty cool. Or a Super Bowl with the Chiefs and Saints wearing their home jerseys would look cool as well. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, Joaquin, I think it's a great idea. I mean, imagine like, think of uh, a couple years ago, we had um, the color rush game on Monday Night Football with the Chiefs and the... Uh, LA Rams and you had the Rams and they're all yellow I believe the Chiefs were wearing uh, their red on top uh, I, I think a lot of the reason why this doesn't happen is the NFL likes rules and as most of the world does I'm not I'm a rule breaker I hate rules I think you're stupid there's a reason I work in a bedroom and not for a network I've turned down jobs for networks because I don't want to be ruled and told what I can and can't say and can and can't do um, and I I mean imagine if the Jaguars played Kansas City the aqua blue or maroon or whatever. What's that color? The aqua marine color of the Jaguars and the red of Kansas City. It'd look amazing together. Or really, a better one would be the Jaguars and the Cardinals. Red and black on aqua. Like, oh, that'd be pretty cool. And now the NFL has a rule. You have to have one team wearing white as the away team. As long as both teams aren't wearing red on top, like, can we can we nix that? Because I think it's the NFL is entertainment. It's for... If you can do anything to enhance the entertainment, which I think having cool jerseys enhances the entertainment of the sport. If you can have, man, the Bills playing Seattle and they're both wearing their colors on top rather than one of them wearing white. Like, I think white can diminish. Now, some people look amazing in white, but um, as much as you can, I think we should mix up jerseys more and more to make it look even more cool on TV. And one of my favorite jerseys in the NFL that you almost never see is the Patriots throwback jerseys. Look up Tom Brady 
Patriots throwback. You got that old, uh, the throwback jerseys are amazing. I want more of that. But you have Tom Brady uh, on with a Patriots jersey. It's like red top, white pants. Almost looks like a Buffalo Bills jersey. You got that guy, the, the football guy, you know, guy about to spike the ball uh, with the, you know, Patriots logo. And it's, it's just cool. I really, uh, and also the cool striped socks. Like, as much as you can, we should play with jerseys and try to make cool combinations. So as long as it's not the Cardinals playing the Chiefs and you have red on red or blue on blue, like, let's have fun with it. I would love to see more of that idea, more mixing going on in the NFL with jersey combinations between the two teams playing each other as well. Max writes and says, Zach, what happened to the intro music? Uh, Max, frankly, one day I woke up and didn't like it. <laughs> I don't have, I don't have a long, I, I wish I could tell you, like, I was getting sued and I had to get rid of it. And there's no, there's no reason behind the scenes other than one day I woke up. It was like a sad episode. I think, I think it was like a starting with some really heavy topic. And I just was like, the intro music doesn't really fit the vibe of the show today. And then I never looked back. I just never went back to it. And so, um, I, 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 someday I would love to have really cool intro music, uh, when I can pay someone to make it. I've had offers from, uh, one of the, one, a guy on Jimmy Fallon, actually, like a, one, a big, a big artist recently said, I'll make you a song for free. And I just didn't feel comfortable taking that for free. I, I want to pay for that. And, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I'm not there yet, but someday I will be. And someday, uh, yeah, I'd love to have a cool intro song, but it's, uh, I've had people send me stuff they made, and they're like, hey, do you want to buy this? And I, I didn't like what they made, too, so it's I'm in a rock and hard place. Like, someday, when I probably in, in, during the offseason, when it's not football season, uh, if I have money saved up and can make it happen, I'd love to make a new intro song that fits what I like and has energy but not too much and can be subtle. And I, we'll find that someday. I'm not there yet. And so uh, I just, frankly, just don't want to take the time to figure out how to have intro music I like and it's not a it's not a high level priority to me uh, but someday someday we'll figure it out we'll get there I'm just not there yet uh, the next question is from Davis he says Zach answer immediately mankind is in your hands you're in charge of a ship traveling through space you're cruising just fine and then all of a sudden your ship stops and is being pulled upwards you're caught in another ship's beam when you board the foreign ship you are greeted by the aliens from Space Jam. They challenge you to a game of your choice. I want to be clear. Any game. Cornhole, Can Jam, chess, any game or sport. Is Can Jam a thing? I, I, I could have said just an, an offensive thing. I have no idea what Can Jam is. Maybe that's some crazy Arabic word for like the F word. I have no idea. I hope, I hope it's not offensive. I don't think it is. But uh, And you can design your team as well, by the way. If you lose, humanity will be enslaved by these monstrous beasts what game do you choose and who do you choose as your teammate? So I am playing for the fate of humanity. Now, I got to say, I've never seen Space Jam. Uh, I, I've seen like the monsters, I think, are like these beasts kind of thing. But they'll, they're not uniform. They're like, it's not like the aliens from Alien where they're all the same. I think there's different beasts. And <sighs> Space Jam has always been off-putting to me. I never liked the Looney Tunes with, you know, cartoon animation style on real life with real life Michael Jordan. It never looked right to me. I always hate that when you mix in like, animated stuff with real people it never looks good to me i think it's weird and awkward and um so i've never seen space jam i don't know what the monsters look like uh now the sport i would play probably i would play actually mario kart on the switch is that mario kart 8 i am i'm what sport am i most confident in? it's either football or mario kart i i'm very confident i could win for the fate of humanity mario kart against an alien like i, I will i will dominate mario kart i'm amazing at drifting uh pretty confident at that uh, either that or flag football. Not tackle football, don't hit me. I, I don't want to get hit anymore ever again. I'm totally good with that. But flag football, oh man, I make people miss. I'm shifty and I, I have a lot of confidence. I can dial up back shoulder fades and uh, throw vertical really well. And I, I am really confident. I'm good on the run. I'm good at extending plays. I probably look like Johnny Manziel the way I play flag football. Uh, I guess what I got called when I played flag football back in college. Um, and even after college, I just, whenever I played, uh, really, I, I dominated every time I had one time I had 10 touchdowns in one game. So I'm very confident playing flag football. Uh, it's a setting that I, when COVID ends at some point, I want to play more flag football, but you can't even leagues are closed. Everything's closed. I mean, maybe not in Georgia, but where I live in, I live outside of Portland. Like, <laughs> Oh, keep dreaming. You're not going to go outside. You can't hang out with people. That's awful. You get shamed even not only by the government, but by people around you. So no flag football here. Um, if I built a flag football team, I'm not going to make defense. I don't, 
I would let somebody else design the defense. I'd probably say, hey, my name is Zach Schaumler. The fate of humanity rests on this game of flag football. So can you help me pick people that would be good at flag football on defense? I would just, I would defer to somebody else. But on offense, I would want DeAndre Hopkins. I'd want Devontae Adams. I throw, I mean, uh, so jump balls to Devontae Adams. Or sorry, DeAndre Hopkins. Jump balls to DeAndre Hopkins. Back shoulder fades to Devontae Adams. I'd want Devontae Smith from Alabama. I think he's got a great attitude. I think he fights really hard. I just want to be teammates with him jealously. And I think in crunch time, fate of humanity, Devontae Smith would deliver. Uh, I want Jarvis Landry because he can throw. So we can do double passes and trick plays with Jarvis Landry. He's a great receiver. He can run routes and do that. But he also, a trick play with Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry can throw. I like that aspect of his game. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is a guy who is great out of the backfield. He's shifty. can make people miss. He'd be my check down on the right. Uh, I'd have Alvin Kamara as my check down. Pretty much every play, I'd have a check down, flare out wide. Like, okay, you take everybody, everybody vertical. Guess what? I got check downs, Alvin Kamara. I wouldn't have anybody blitz or anybody protecting me. Uh, I guess actually what I'd probably need is like Christian McCaffrey, snap me the ball, then run a route um, if you're playing that kind. Now, again, I wouldn't have anybody uh, do, stopping the pass rush. If you want to bring, bring somebody after me, go ahead. I'll either make a miss or I'll beat you with a blitz. Like if you have someone rushing me at quarterback, it means you have fewer people matched up downfield. Either I have one-on-one matchups or I have uh, somebody open underneath. So guess what? In flag football, go ahead and blitz me as much as you want. You're going to lose every single time. I've got complete confidence there. Uh, I don't know whether aliens can play football or not. Like, Can they throw a football? They've never – an alien from – like I can't imagine the alien from Alien would know how to throw a football. It's a very oblong, weird shape. you got to learn how to throw a spiral. Like I don't know that they could do well in flag football. Uh, but it's not about that. It's what sport am I most comfortable and confident I could succeed at. It's either flag football or Mario Kart. So, again, I, what do the aliens look like? I'm, I'm told it's the aliens from Space Jam. I don't, I don't know what they look like. I'm, I'm sorry. I've never seen anything other than a couple seconds of Space Jam. And it was Daffy Duck. Not Daffy Duck. What's the one? Uh, the bird. The bird. The, the Tweety the bird. And Michael Jordan. So I don't, I've never seen Space Jam. I have no interest in watching Space Jam. Um, I'm starting a new podcast about movies in February. So maybe, maybe someday uh, Patreon will bother me enough to do a Space Jam episode, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to watch Space Jam at all. I have no interest and no desire to do that. But hey, maybe I will because I think, I think it'd be good. It would probably bring sports people into that podcast because my audience is sports fans. And if they want to be brought over to a movie podcast, I probably got to do Remember the Titans and the Replacements and maybe Space Jam and then be like, hey, you like me talking about sports movies? Well, let's want to hear me talk about Star Wars and Spider-Man and, uh, you know, Insidious and, um, gosh, what's the new, what's the, there's one movie I'm so excited to do first. I'll probably do, probably do Pirates of the Caribbean first, actually, Jack Sparrow. Then I'll do Sahara. Then I'll do, oh, there's one that's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, Catch Me If You Can with, um, God, Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. That's an amazing movie. I really want to talk about that. I want to dive deep into that one. Uh, yeah. Final question of the day is from Jorge. He writes and says, hey, Zach, I know you've mentioned that you have watched The Office before and absolutely hate Michael Scott. I do. I hate Michael Scott so much. Before we finish the question, by the way, ah, let, me, let me finish the question first. He says, but I was curious, which scene or part of the show made you laugh the most? So first of all, I hate Michael Scott because he's an incompetent bad boss. And if I worked for Michael Scott in the office, I would quit my job and say, I'm not working for you. You're an idiot. I can't do it. I don't have the patience for people that are incompetent like Michael Scott. Uh, he's not funny. He's, he's just aggravating. And I, I, I hate nonsense. I hate dealing with people anyway. And so uh, if I worked for Michael Scott from the office, I would literally quit my job and say, I'll work at 7-Eleven before I do that. I can go find another job selling something else. I'm, I'm pretty confident in my ability to get a job. Uh, I don't need to work for Michael Scott, so I wouldn't. I'd say, I refuse. I'm going to go get a better boss. And Michael Scott never was funny to me. I thought he was a terrible, incompetent boss who was frustrating. And I, I, I hate the thought of working for an incompetent boss. It's not funny. It doesn't work for me. Uh, I, I hate injustice. I was watching Star Trek Discovery recently, and uh, you know the main character has a Michael Burnham has a boss basically in in Starfleet or the Federation that's not allowing her to do her job properly. And I literally quit watching the show. I said, I can't. I can't do it. I. I hate when people that are talented are limited. No way. I refuse to watch that stuff. It's not funny for me. Now, I did love The Office, though. Weirdly enough, I hated Michael Scott, but I loved the show. Uh, my favorite part of the show is Jim and Pam, actually. Their love story. 
<laughs> it's so cheesy, but I love it. It's like so it's sweet and beautiful. And by like season three, they finally get together. And then you no longer need to watch the show. But my other favorite part of the show, and what I thought was the funniest part of The Office, and it's, I mean, just go watch the Jim pranks. Uh, Jim versus Dwight Schrute. Amazing. I love that part of The Office, and I always love Jim versus Dwight. Um, I know people love Michael Scott. I didn't think it was funny. I hated that part. But I was there for Jim. Jim is my favorite character. I love him, uh, and I love Jim versus Dwight, and I love Jim and Pam. So uh, Jim, Pam, Dwight, my three favorite characters in the entire show, and they are re- the reason why I enjoyed and watched The Office as long as I did. I did finish the show, um, and I, I very quietly rejoiced when Michael Scott left. It was kind of sad. Uh, I hated uh, what did they bring in? They brought in Will Smith or sorry, no, Will Will Ferrell played something like Lawrence Vickers or something. wasn't very good either. Um, I uh, I think my favorite once Michael Scott left, the show was best later on when Dwight Schrute became the the head of the office again. Now, like Dwight Schrute being Michael Scott, that's perfect. That's funny. I like that because you still got Jim versus Dwight and you got Jim and Pam and oh, it's all great. I love all that. So, um, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Hope you have a great day. I appreciate you. Uh, but um bum bam, we are done.